But this morning, we're coming back to this passage, and I want to ask us to really seek the Lord this morning to powerfully speak into our hearts about this incredible gift of prayer. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read, beginning at verse 5, Luke chapter 11, verse 5, and we're going to read down through verse 13. If you have your Bible, if you are able to stand here, also you join with us. Uh, we're going to stand in respect of God's Word and listen to the Word of the Lord, beginning at verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God's people said, Amen. Let's be seated, please. Many years ago, in the first uh, couple of years that I was pastor here, I had been in youth ministry, many of you know, for six or seven years, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity, but I really knew uh, next to nothing about being the uh, pastor or lead pastor of a congregation, and so I was trying to learn all I could. About two years into my ministry here, someone encouraged me to go to a conference, uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. So I went to a pastor's gathering at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And I knew no one there. Uh, went by myself. And I was not really acquainted with some of the uh, speakers. Uh, my, my background hadn't really crossed with them. And so they said there was a speaker who would be sharing that night. His name was Adrian Rogers. Some of you will remember. I'd never heard of Adrian Rogers. I thought he had a very nice first name, but I'd, I'd never heard of him. And so when this 
man of God, a pastor from Memphis, Tennessee, came and opened the word in several of those services. I was just spellbound. And I remember Dr. Rogers said this at the close of one morning service. He said, now at 2 o'clock this afternoon in our gathering, I just feel led to share with you the most impactful thing I have ever learned in my ministry. Most impactful thing I've ever learned in my ministry. Well, I was determined I was going to be right down front. So I just ran out, got a little snack. I came back, and that auditorium, about 5,000 seats. I was right down front. I had my notebook. I was ready to write. I was leaning in. Dr. Rogers came out, and after saying a few words, he said, I told you I'm going to share in this message the most impactful thing I've ever learned in ministry. I am leaning in. I got my pen. I've got my notebook. And then he said this, this is the most impactful thing I've ever learned. There was a dramatic pause as only he could give. He said, it's this, God answers prayer. A number of you said amen, and I thank God for that. I wish I'd have been that spiritual that day. (laughs) Because here was really my response, really? That's what you got for us, Adrian? I mean, like, duh. I I think that was even before we said, duh, okay? (laughs) But then as he began to open up what prayer had meant to his life and ministry, I began to understand. And I really sensed that he was absolutely right. If it can grip your heart that there is a God creator, all-powerful, who loves you and delights in you and who will hear and answer your prayers. Now, what's more powerful than that? God answers prayer. Now, I want you to know this morning i've thought a lot about this service it's a little different just a little i got up here on the platform a little earlier today didn't i that's making some of you nervous already (laughs) because you know it's easy to get me up here not so easy to get me off that i heard an amen there too so somebody needs to practice on their timing there a little bit but i want you to listen I believe for everyone that's watching, I believe for this moment we are gathered, either your life is going to change or nothing's going to change. And for some here this morning, some listening, not because of me, not because of anything that I myself will say, but because the truth of Jesus' promise will grip your heart your life's never going to be the same. Sadly, I'm afraid there'll be some. Nothing will change. 
Now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to do my best to share some insights with you from this passage. And then I've asked three people to come and pray. That the truth of what the Lord Jesus is saying might grip our hearts and come upon us so that you'll be changed, family touched, our church will be changed. God answers prayer. Now, Lord God, I thank you that this is your word. And I thank you that you're a God who cannot lie. And I thank you the Lord Jesus has shared these things about you. His Father and our Father. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. That lives will be changed. Transformed. By what happens now in these next few moments. I pray this in the name of Jesus. For his sake. If you agree with that prayer. Would you say amen. amen. Now let's look again at this passage. As we just open it up. What was so amazing to me. About this passage as I read it. Many times and meditated over it is that the Lord Jesus here shares an illustration and an image that are so wrong. There are a couple things that Jesus said in this passage that they are so wrong. Now they're not lies because what he is saying he is saying for effect but he is revealing things that we actually can believe that are so wrong. So Jesus shares a couple of things that are so wrong in order that he might share something that is so right. And so with Jesus, two wrongs do make a right. And that's how I want us to look at this. There's two wrongs here. That the Lord, once we understand the wrongness of them, He can make things right in regard to our understanding of Him and our prayer life transformed forever. What's the first wrong? Jesus shares an absurd illustration of a father. He, he shares an absurd illustration of a father. Now the key word here is father. Have you noticed this? Look back at verse 2. The disciples ask him how to pray. Teach us to pray. And the first thing he said, when you pray, say, Father. And throughout what he has to say on prayer, he keeps going back to the image of a father. The illustration of a father. But to help us wrap our minds around the understanding of God as our Father, Jesus does something very unique. He shares, first of all, an absurd illustration of a father. 
Because this is an illustration of the father. You look at verse 7. The man inside is a father. And he answers. He says, I'm with my children. My family's in bed with me. My children. This is a father speaking. Now, notice. Jesus shared this absurd illustration for effect. And there's a hint that. What he is saying is absurd when he says this. Notice, he says in verse 5, Which of you, which of you, and the, the inference here is, oh, there's none of us that could ever imagine this kind of situation. He's, he's doing this for effect because everyone, listen carefully, everyone in that audience understood that the illustration Jesus is using about a man pounding on someone's door at night, needing some loaves of bread because he has guests, and the man on the inside does not want to get up and answer him, everyone in Jesus' audience that day knew that was an impossibility. That was absurd. Why? Because to the Jewish people... And the Middle uh, Middle Eastern mindset. The idea of hospitality was sacred. It was a sacred responsibility to take care of your community. It was a sacred responsibility to care for the people of your community. And so the idea that someone would need bread because now he has unexpected guests... He goes to a friend. He has to have this bread. And pounds on his door at midnight saying, you must help me. I need to take care of and I need to feed my unexpected guest. The idea that someone would say, no, I'm not going to do it. They would recognize that's an absurd situation. And that's the reason Jesus taught it that way. Because he wanted them to understand some lessons about the Father. Now, notice here, the Father inside, when he hears his neighbor knocking on the door, beating on the door, the Father says, no. The father in the house says no. Matter of fact, he says a quadruple no. Says no four times. Man's knocking on his door. He says, no, don't bother me. Do you see that? No, the door is shut. No, the children are in bed with me. Those little cottages just had a a family bed. Everybody shared it. They're all tucked in. No. And I can't get up now. So it was not just no. It was no, 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 no. See, it's important here to recognize why is Jesus using this illustration? He's using it for effect because he's not comparing his father to this father. He's contrasting his father with this father. He's using the the device in in trying to help people to see, not to compare two things and show how they're alike, but to compare two things and show how opposite they are. 
What Jesus is saying here, listen carefully, God the Father is not like this Father. God the Father is not like this Father who at midnight his neighbor desperately needed some bread to care for his guests and also to save himself from shame. God the Father is not like this Father. And here's Jesus' point. Don't miss this. Because he's not like this man in the house, because our Heavenly Father is not like this Father, what should we be then? We should be persistent in prayer. Because the Father we're talking to is not the type of individual we have to beat his door down. To get him to pay some attention to us. And we have to make ourselves a nuisance. In order for God the Father to be interested in helping us. He's saying your father's not like that. He's not like that. He says. Because your heavenly father, the idea is like, not like that. You should be persistent in prayer. So you see that some of your Bibles translate the word persistent. It's an interesting word. Can't hardly be translated into English from the uh, original Greek. The word is anideon. Anideon. It's translated by the English Standard Version, if you have that. Because of the man's impudence. (laughs) The man who's beating on the door. Because of his impudence, he will get up and open. King James says, because of his importunity. That's just a nice sounding word. An importunity. You might not know a thing what it means, but it's just nice to know the word. Importunity. New International Version says, because of the man's persistence. The key idea here... And this is what the a general idea of what the word means. It means a person without shame or embarrassment. A person without shame or embarrassment. Have, have you ever interacted with someone who just is incapable of being embarrassed of their actions? <laughs> or someone who's just not capable of really having shame? And so the things they do embarrass you, but don't embarrass them. <laughs> I like the way the SLP version translates this, okay? (laughs) Some of you, SLP version, that's the Sam Lewis Polson version. Some of you might think it's the per version, all right? But here's the idea. Annoyingly relentless. Annoyingly relentless. Now, I know you've met some people like that. They're relentless people, and they are annoyingly relentless. Now remember, Jesus is contrasting here. He's talking about two wrongs. And he says this one wrong is that to believe that the heavenly Father is anything like this. But because you know he's not like this, you should be persistent in your prayers. 
knowing God is good and He's kind and He delights to show mercy should cause us to be persistent in praying to Him. We should be unrelenting in the persistence of our prayer. That's the right that comes out of this. Two wrongs make a right. Because our Heavenly Father isn't like a man who doesn't want to get up to help his neighbor in need. But because our Heavenly Father truly is our Heavenly Father, He loves us, we should therefore be unrelenting in our persistence in prayer. That Jesus is saying, don't make yourself a problem to anybody. He's not saying, and don't hear me, that you go out on a mission to be annoyingly <laughs> relentless and say, my pastor told me this is my mission. No. Jesus is using this for effect. He's saying, because you know your father's good, you should continually be persistent in asking for the things that you need. Be unrelenting because he is good. See, look at verse 9. What does Jesus say? I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it is open. Now notice it's important. doesn't come across as much in English. These are present tense verbs. What is it that Jesus is saying? He's saying literally, because you know your father's a good father. You can relentlessly pray to him and you should relentlessly pray to him. It's like this. I say to you, Jesus says, you keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on knocking. It will be open. Everyone, not just special people, not people who are the holiest of all. Everyone who believes that God is good, He's your heavenly Father, and you will be persistent in asking and seeking and knocking. You will, everyone, anyone, will be receiving, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be open to him now what is it that motivates a person to pray like this think about what Jesus is saying follow me carefully now what motivates us to be people who relentlessly pray to our heavenly father as Jesus said Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. What, first of all, causes us to be that way in prayer? Number one, the promise of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus made a promise. Jesus promised six times in two verses. Do you see these promises in verses 9 and 10? He says, it will be given. You will find. It will be open to you. He says, if you do this, you receive. You find. It's open to you. He says, he makes six promises here. You see, 
You can't be more persistent in your prayers than Jesus is in his promises. He's making these promises. Now, so what is Jesus saying here, friends? Listen carefully. Jesus is prompting his disciples. They want to know how to pray. Because they don't really know how to pray as Jesus prays to the Father. So he wants them to know that he is their Father too. He's not just Jesus' Father. He's their Father too if they believe in him. And so Jesus wants them to understand what he knows about the Father. And if they know, as he knows, the kindness and the goodness of the Father, he says, then be audacious and be bold in your praying. Be audacious and bold in your praying. Put out of your mind the idea that you have to make yourself a pain before God will listen to you. Put out of your mind the idea that somehow you've got to put yourself lower and lower and lower so that God will hear you and cause God to have an affection toward you. He loves you. <laughs> and when you know his heart, this is Jesus' point. He wants you to know the heart of the Father so that in your prayers you're praying relentlessly, audacious and bold prayers. Why can Jesus tell you to do that? Listen carefully. It's right out of the story. Because our Heavenly Father's not asleep and He's not grumpy. That's the way the Father was in the story. Remember, it's an absurd, absurd story. It's absurd to think that our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father is asleep. Because the Bible says, he that watches over you never sleeps. And he's not grumpy. If you think God in his innermost nature is grumpy, then you do not yet really know the heart of God. Because God in the heart of his being is love, mercy, grace, compassion you see my friend does God sometimes bring his wrath yes will he bring his wrath on sin of course he will but his nature is not wrathful his nature is loving merciful compassionate and kind We have to provoke God to wrath. He's not in a bad mood and you catch him on a bad day. He has to be provoked to wrath. And then even when he is provoked to wrath, God never loses his temper. And aren't you thankful for that? That'd be a bad day in the universe when God loses his temper. He never loses his temper. The Father... Our Father is always awake and He's always inviting. You're not a nuisance, you're a child. You're not a distraction, you're one of His disciples. You're not a problem to Him, 
You are precious to him. And Jesus uses these promptings and these promises about prayer. He's prompting us and giving us promises about prayer. Why? Listen, Jesus knows the Father. He knows his Father. And he wants us to know him as well. He wants us to have the right understanding. And you see, friends, when you have the right understanding about the Father... When you think of him rightly, that will help you overcome the wrong practices of prayer. Most of our wrong practices of prayer are based on we don't have a right understanding of God the Father. You see, having a right understanding of God the Father is going to help you overcome uncommitted praying. Guess what we just are naturally in our sinful self? We're just naturally lazy. Lazy. I remember back in the 70s when I was coming up, the village people. What a great group. (laughs) I go to games sometimes, they pull them out of the 70s. What, YMCA? Okay, everybody's going to YMCA. When we think about ourselves many times in our prayer life, it just should be L-A-Z-Y. We're lazy. Why are we lazy in prayer? I'll tell you what, because we're not thinking about the preciousness of it. We're not thinking about what God, our Heavenly Father, is ready, willing, and able to do for us. And therefore, we have not because what? We ask not. We're just lazy. Real prayer means that you're determined, you're active about it. But what makes you get up and pray and talk to God and call upon Him? Because you know His love. You know His love. Number two, understanding your Heavenly Father, as Jesus wants you to understand Him, not only overcomes uncommitted praying, it overcomes unbelieving praying. People say, you know, sometimes I I just don't know if I have enough, uh, uh, enough belief. I don't know if I have enough faith. And you know what? We need to ask ourselves, I don't have enough belief in whom? I don't have enough faith in whom? Because my friend, I'll tell you, you can look in your heart for the rest of your life and you'll never find anything in you to cause belief. You'll find no prompting of faith in your heart. But I'll tell you what will prompt you to faith and believing is when you look upon a God of mercy and love who spared not His own Son for you. That'll prompt you. To believe and have faith. Where does faith come from? Looking to Jesus, the author and the completer of our faith. That's where it comes from. And when you know that God is good, so good that He sent His only Son for you, well, there is a source of faith and confidence. It has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with my Father. 
Number three, when you have a right attitude about your father, it will help you overcome unsubmissive praying. Unsubmissive praying. You know how Jesus taught us to pray? Remember in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, teach us to pray. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, when you know the heart of your Father, when you know that your Father is the all good, when you know that your Father is the best and the wisest, then you're not going to come with the attitude that really many of us come at times to God in prayer and we really pray more like this, My kingdom come. My will be done. My will be done on earth and I will it to be done in heaven. They're actually ministers and churches that teach that kind of heresy. That you can take your selfishness and sanctify it before God. You see, the problem is this. When we know that God is all good, what's the best good we could ask for? His will to be done. His kingdom to come. What is God's will? Paul says it is good and perfect. The best life you could ever have is not getting what you want. The best life you could possibly have is what God wants for you. It's the future and a hope that He set before you. You'd never have to worry about, Lord, I want to make sure that I make a good decision here. God's not really interested in helping you make a bad one. You know, God's not up there. <laughs> no, my will is you really twist your life. That's my will. No. He's our Father. But we don't come before God, who we really know, and demand that our will be done. When we get lost in His love, we want His will to be done. And it stops unbiblical praying. Unbiblical praying. When we know God's heart. You see, friends, listen. We can pray outside of Scripture. You, you don't have to pray about something God has already addressed in His Word. We're spending a lot of time praying about things that we just need to be obeying and doing. Many times we're praying about knowing God's secret will. We want to know what God's will is. The first thing, are we doing His will that we know? I mean, if I was God, and aren't we glad that I'm not? I, I would be, Lord, show me your will, show me your will. Well, let's see. Uh, you know that honor, your father and mother? I really meant that. You know that, uh, that thing about uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together? I, I really meant that. You, you know what I said there about uh, avoiding evil? 
and running from it. I meant that. A lot of times, it's been amazing for me to hear people say they're praying about things and they want to know the answer about things that God's already answered in His book. That's the reason it's the Word of God and prayer. If you don't read the Word of God, you're not going to pray in the will of God. This idea of just praying and demanding what you want of God before you found out what God says that He wants us to do. And remember, what He wants us to do is what's best. Don't pray, we don't pray out of context of Scripture. A lot of people, because they're not praying to understanding the heart of the Father that Jesus revealed, they're, they're praying against Scripture, and then you can pray Scripture out of context. Let me give you an example. And I think it's one of the key examples. You know, you may have heard about this. People in this world get sick. We get sick. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, by his stripes we are healed. Meaning Jesus, the Savior, the substitute, the Messiah. By his stripes we are healed. And if we're not careful, we can start demanding that every illness be healed when we want it to be healed and how we want it to be healed when the answer listen carefully God does heal and he heals in this life I have seen him work miracles I could tell you things that I have seen happen that are absolutely miraculous I am standing here before you as a man who four doctors was were shaking their head over him on a ventilator and they told my wife, he's not going to make it, he's going to die. Well, the great physician had other ideas and people were praying for me and God healed me. But here's what I want you to understand. All our illnesses as believers are healed, but they're not all here healed now, and they're not all here healed until we get fully healed in the presence of God. Amen. And if, if we're not careful, we get this thought that we're actually praying in a way we don't want people to be healed. Because God heals ultimately when we receive our new body. Now understand this. Am I saying not pray for healing? Did you not just hear? I was praying for healing. You're in ICU and people are looking real nervous looking over you. And you've got more tubes running into you. And you're on a ventilator. You'll pray. And I'm thankful people are praying for me. But guess what? I was already eternally healed in Jesus Christ. He chose to heal me temporarily. But someday, 
I'm going to get sick someday. Who knows how, unless I'm alive when the Lord comes. And God will ordain that illness to bring my ultimate healing in the presence of Jesus. Now, what's my point here? If I'm not careful, I take my illness or somebody else's illness, I push it back on God, and I start wondering if God really loves me. I, I start wondering, do I have enough faith? I start thinking it's about my perfect faith. And if I had perfect faith, I'd be healed. My friend, I want to tell you something. You don't have perfect faith. I don't either. What was it? The man prayed for his son. Lord Jesus, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. Did his imperfect faith keep Jesus from healing his son? No. What we need to recognize here, my friend, is that Knowing our God, knowing His goodness, is going to overcome unbiblical praying. It's going to overcome unsubmissive praying. It's going to overcome uncommitted praying and unbelieving praying. Why? Because we know God, who He is in Jesus, and that draws us in confidence into prayer. Most of all, here's the most important thing. Knowing God as our Father overcomes, listen carefully, ungodly praying. Ungodly praying. Now, <laughs> Pastor Sam, what do you mean by ungodly praying? <laughs> I mean prayer, prayer that is not prayed with a true understanding of who God is and His goodness and His kindness. When we pray based on a motivation that's not who God is, then that prayer is ungodly. It's not aligned with God. doesn't mean you're praying for sin to happen or do something sinful. It means your prayer is not reflecting the goodness of God. Notice. This is the second wrong that Jesus made, shared. He didn't make a wrong, but he said, here is a wrong way of thinking. It's having in your mind an awful image of God. Look at this awful image, verse 11. Again, Jesus is using this for effect. He's, he's contrasting the heavenly father to this perverted kind of concept of a father. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish give him a snake? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Jesus is teaching by contrast. He's asking a question for effect. He's, he's saying... You can't even imagine this. This isn't even absurd. This is to think about God this way is an abomination. Jesus' point is this. What's Jesus' point? If we could not imagine an earthly father treating his children this way, how could we possibly imagine the heavenly father treating his children that way?
Can we possibly imagine our Heavenly Father being like this? And my friends, listen carefully. The sad answer is yes, it's possible. We are capable of thinking about God this way. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. And being a sinner means even your, your thinking processes are darkened. We can think of this because we're sinners. Guess, secondly, listen carefully. And my heart goes out to some people here and who are listening. You can think this way about the Heavenly Father is because you were sinned against just about like this by your earthly father. And this whole concept of a father for you from your earliest days was not one of goodness and kindness. And there has been wired into your brain over a period of time the idea that a father is not good, not kind. But the biggest reason we can transfer this concept upon God is because of Satan. You see, Satan wants us to see God as a self-serving tyrant. That's how he wants us to see God. How do I know that? Because that's the first lie he told to Adam and Eve. Has God really said that? Well, let me tell you why God is telling you not to take that fruit. Because God doesn't want you to be like Him. He doesn't want you to experience things that only He can experience. And therefore, God doesn't want you having that knowledge and having that experience. God's holding back on you. You may think this God that's been walking around the garden with you is good, but I'm here to tell you he isn't. He's playing a game with you. And what happens? That poison can get into our prayer life. It gets into our prayer life unless we know God as Father. And we keep that in front of us. How do we know what God the Father is like? We know what God the Father is like through His Son that He sent to this earth. God is like Jesus. The Bible says no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who came from the heart of the Father. He has revealed Him. What is God like? God is like Jesus because Jesus is God in human flesh. He's God incarnate. We know what God is like from the life of Jesus and we know what God is like from the death of Jesus. What does the Bible say in Romans 8? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely what? give us all things? Listen, my dear brother, sister, if God the Father was going to hold anything back from you, he would have held back his son, Jesus Christ. But if he didn't hold back his son, Jesus Christ, from you, what thing that is good for you and best for you would he ever hold back? 
How do you know God loves you? You look at your checkbook. <laughs> How do you know God loves you? All your relationships are perfect. How do you know God loves you? You're completely healthy. You never get sick. How do we know God loves us? We know God loves us when we go to Jesus. And we imagine what must have been in the heart of God for me. Yes, me and you. That he would not spare his own son. That's what God thinks about you. You cannot, you cannot figure out what God thinks about you by circumstances in your life that change like the waves. How you know what God thinks about you is what He did for you in Christ. And so you've got to live your life before the cross. I get confused. I look up at the cross. I get sick. I look up at the cross. People are mean to me. I look up at the cross. I'm having hard times. I fail. I look up at the cross. I, I sin and I don't know if I can ever be restored. I look back up at the cross. It centers me because this is God's love for me in His Son. And I don't deserve it. Do you deserve it? But just because you don't deserve it doesn't mean it's not real and you can't enjoy the love of God. It's not what we deserve. The glory of God is not in what we deserve. The glory of God is in giving us what we don't deserve. It's grace upon grace. Two wrongs create a right. And what's the greatest right of all? What's the greatest gift of all? The unequaled promise of God is this. And I put this right here because this is where we... We're going to transition into closing in prayer. What has God promised? He will do for you what He will give to you. Verse 13. If you then, who are evil, and, and Jesus doesn't say, oh, mankind's basically good. If you believe mankind's basically good, then either you're right or Jesus is right. you got to make a choice. Jesus said we are not basically good. He said if we being basically evil. And yet there's enough of the image of God preserved in us. Even as rebel sinners. If we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more? Do you see the contrast? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? To those who what? Ask him. What th this verse, it stumped me for so long. And finally, I believe God enlightened me, and I hope maybe this will help you. What Jesus is saying here is not that some people get more of the Spirit than others. You pray and pray and pray, and you get a quart of the Spirit. And somebody over here prays and prays and prays, they get a half gallon of the Spirit. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who's talking to us here? The Son. 
He's talking about the Father. A little later on in his ministry, he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And he says, he will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. He will give Himself. Do you see this? Who is God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is saying He will give Himself to you. He will give the greatest gift of all. The greatest thing God can give you is sharing life with Him. That's the greatest thing that He can give you. You see, it's... it's, it's Better than having a blessing, God gives you a blessing. What's better than that if you have the blesser? What's better than having strength for a day? How about the strength of the power of the resurrected Christ in your life by the Spirit? Is that better? What's the best thing God could give us? Himself. It's the greatest promise, the greatest answer, the greatest gift is God Himself. I want to ask you, when have you ever begged the Lord that He would grant you a fresh experience of Himself, to be renewed by Himself? When have you asked Him that more than anything else, you need Him to be your peace, Him to be your joy, Him to be your long-suffering, Him to be your kindness, Him to be your goodness, We ask Him for Himself because all the gifts are in Him. I saw a great film on Netflix a few months ago. You know what it was called? Greyhound. Did you ever see this with Tom Hanks, the movie that's out about that ship, whatever? And I thought, man, that's an awesome, awesome picture. So watch this thing, and it's about this destroyer ship that protects the merchant ships. Then I was reading this week about another ship called the Greyhound in the 1700s. And it sailed into a terrible storm. And the mast broke in two. And the water gushed down into the captain's quarters. Captain's coming up on deck. The man beside him is swept overboard. He clings to anything he can get a hold of. He gets back to try to get to the rudder and control this. And the man is a terrible man. He's been a slave trader. He's been a wicked, terrible man. He's fearing that any moment he's going to be going into eternity. But he's picked up his Bible and he's been reading his Bible, trying to find hope for his soul. And while he's there in the midst of that storm, and at any moment they're all going to go down into the ocean and into eternity without hope, he cries out to God and he calls out about this verse. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. God, you promise. That you would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I'm asking you. I'm begging you to help me in this hour. I'm calling upon you. I'm a sinner. Help me. In latter days, the man said that's when he knew he was converted. His life began to completely change. He went on to be a great servant of the Lord. Matter of fact, he wrote a little song. You may have heard it. 
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's John Newton, the captain of that ship. And he cried out to the Father. He had nothing to offer the Father, but the Father gave him everything. Have you ever asked God for himself? Have you ever asked him? In the situation you're in right now, have you ever asked for himself? For the future that you're worried about, have you ever asked him for himself? For the doubts and fears, have you ever asked him for himself? When you believe that you may have lost your salvation, have you ever cried out to him and said, Lord, it's only you. I need you. Lord, I can't face what I'm going through. What the doctors just told me, I need you. Lord, our marriage is hopeless. We need you. I'm asking for you. When we know God's heart, then we'll get desperate for Him because we'll understand that what we need in any situation more than anything, we need Him, right? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now. And I appreciate your attention. I told you I think that this is a very important moment, not because of anything I said. I just sense it. I sense it with all my heart from people here, people watching. And I pray, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, do not close up shop. The Holy Spirit does not leave the room when the pastor goes to start inviting people. I'm begging you at home, wherever you are, to truly ask yourself, do you see God this way? Do you see the Father this way? Do you see His beauty, His glory, His kindness, and will you call upon Him? Will you truly call upon Him? Not believe the lies, not force upon Him circumstances, but knowing He spared not His Son and that He is who Jesus said He is. Will you, even with the weakest faith that you may think you have, will you boldly knock and keep on knocking and saying, Lord, I need your spirit. I need your spirit.